Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the third episode of the Play Tectonics podcast. Jeff Payton is an internationally recognized play scientist and the founder of Play Tectonics. In this episode, Jeff addresses parents of the opt-out movement. And now, here's Jeff. So, at the end of part one of this Call to Action podcast, I shared the following. We the people, no, we the parents first, must rise above an education that keeps our children on the short answer and the short leash. We must not only stop the test, but also end this academic trail of tears we call education. We must stop this mechanized teach and test charade of factory efficiency, goals, and statistics based on misguided factory fallacies about children and learning. We desperately need generations of thinking, questioning, resilient, creative, fearless imagineers and purpose-driven problem tacklers coming out of our schools. And to achieve this, the learning factory must be transformed into a learning habitat. This is what families and the nation need in order to thrive economically and to give birth to a new meaning and vision of our country. But here's the question. From where will these qualities and this new generation spring? The answer to the question is obvious. From a sustainable learning culture in which these qualities can be fostered and grown. Of course, it will take more than sharp teachers and parents to do this. You need something alive, like solar energy, to bring about this kind of flowering growth in kids. You need warmth, light, fertile ground, and a life force flowing with a pulse beat of its own. You need a guiding spirit you can trust that's larger than life. You need to tap into a powerful energy source that resides in every child. You also need something that fits seamlessly and aligns as a natural extension of the extraordinary growth of the opt-out movement. This is why it's time to make play the cornerstone, the fabric and soil of our nation's learning culture, because play is the inherent organic life force that fosters all of these humanizing qualities, and many more. But let's be real. We've heard this song before, haven't we? Play is a popular subject, but rarely is it seriously embraced as a practical foundation and learning modality for anyone other than the very young. We love to pay lip service to play, but in the end, play is shunted off on the sidelines. It's kept outside like Mary's lamb, banned from the classroom of teaching and testing, kept on a short leash, a subordinate of the short answer. There are always articles about play appearing, often a lead story in some newspaper or magazine, extolling the virtues of play or lamenting its absence. The river of tweets, posts, and infographics promoting the value of play is always moving. But what's missing in this ongoing flow of lip service is a human and practical solution for harnessing the power and the promise of play. And no, Excuse me, 
authentic play has nothing to do with smartphones or software-guided learning billed as the next big thing in education. No, a practical solution for advancing the impact of play in the learning culture requires something innovative and life-changing, like the invention of a GPS or a longitude clock for education. You need proven processes, language, tools, craft, and engineering so that our children can be immersed in productive play-based thinking throughout the journey. Waldorf and Montessori should not have to be the sole domains symbolic of a quality of thinking that rightfully belongs to all children. You need builders like an obscure Alan Turing who invented the first computer, or the recently passed Tony Menendez, the lone CIA operative in the movie Argo, who was equipped with nothing more than a creative vision and the courage to challenge six fearful Americans hiding in the Canadian embassy in Tehran to take control of their collective fate and play their way out. And yes, frankly, education needs innovators like me or someone like me. The problem is I'm one of a kind. There's nobody else navigating and building the pathway and doing the science of play the way that I have. While I don't have all the answers, I do have something of great importance to contribute. I can point the way and provide the processes and the vehicles for play's growth, and even a way to get out of the way when it's called for. Ultimately, no guru, book, or government can dictate a solution or make it take root. All these things can do is add to the churn. The pedagogical principle of play should be our guide through the quagmire and the pathway to a brighter future. So who am I? If opt-out intends to move beyond the limits of testing, it is imperative that those with any influence in the opt-out community take a closer look at my work. And remember, before you prejudge or pigeonhole me as just another business jockeying for position, think and look again. I have followed a path for 40 years. I work in the marketplace of ideas where it's been possible to be invited out of my kitchen counter office by the OECD, based in Paris, to present original papers on play in Europe to brain scientists from around the world. And at the same time, struggle to convince some opt-out parents and principals that I might be worth getting to know. An innovator in education, by definition, fights a stubborn and deeply entrenched learning culture resistant to change. The system is good at wearing people down and thrives on their apathy. In stark contrast to the entertainment or the media industry where risk takers and talent scouts actively seek breakout ideas and possibilities, education rests on complacency. Its conformist and rule-bound existence prefers confinement and the closed door. Too many people can point to the problems, but don't know what innovation looks like, even when it stares back at them in the beaming faces of children. 
Men occasionally, wrote Winston Churchill, stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. Interestingly, this is the same Winston Churchill who, in the middle of the German Blitz, responded decisively to Alan Turing's letter outlining his idea for an intelligent machine. Churchill instantly put him in charge at the very moment when Turing's resentful superiors and peers were getting ready to fire him. Innovation in education is in lockdown because it is owned and defined by big companies. Any innovation that springs from the bottom up or from within, like play, is something that corporations and government are not interested in, for there's no money in it, and it can't be plugged into or imposed on by the system. In fact, we should avoid using the term system if we want to begin imagineering our way out. In the world of learning, we do not need more products to support a short answer culture. Rather, we need new languages and processes based in nature that speak to children's minds and which children can use to communicate and articulate and which they can use to shape their minds and their world anew. 80% of what children learn is visual. What are the pedagogic and economic implications of adopting a play-based visual language within a play-based learning culture. Do you like the sound of that idea? Well, unless you pay serious attention to this podcast, you are likely to never hear or see anything like it ever. Because the powers maneuvering in and around our school culture will not touch it with a 10-foot pole. They're determined to control and define the game to suit their big ideas and big pocket agendas. If you want learning culture free of control and big business, you better be prepared to create a pathway yourself. A pathway the big guys will never be able to touch. Since the big guys are economically allergic to authentic play, I'd say that gives us a powerful strategic edge on transformation. Play must be adopted as the next giant idea and organizing principle for education. For without play and a way to harness it, we will remain blind to the real needs of kids' minds and rudderless, even if we can see. And perhaps, just as important, we will also remain blind to the capacity of play to crash through the learning culture and transform it. So we are looking for people who can recognize real innovation and want to help build it. But here, allow me to take a page from Dorothy and her storied friends and say, it's best to step onto the path seeking something that matters deeply to you and be committed to pursuing it. In this case, a kind of play which we should lay claim to as the universal legacy and birthright of public education, the true pursuit of happiness for generations to come. Play gives our kids wings, and it's time we help kids learn to use them. Thank you for listening to the Play Tectonics podcast. 
This is going to be part two of the message addressed to parents of the opt-out movement. If you liked what you heard today, please share with your friends, family, and associates. Follow us on social media for regular updates and visit our website at playtectonics.org. This is Emily Hall. Thanks so much for listening.